And welcome you. I'm Pastor Bob Bartlett, uh, the Submerged Church, your first time. Uh, we're glad you're here. Well, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, happy Christmas, joyous Christmas. You can take your pick. I like all of them. Um, there's no denying that it's a great time of the year, uh, a lot of joy, uh, a lot of merriment, excitement, and honestly, I don't know, it just to me, it seems like most people are in a better mood. You think that? I, I'm not sure, but I, I've observed that for years. Uh, but I actually wish sometimes I could freeze frame this time of the year because there just seems to be a joy in the air, a spirit of joy in the air. But for now, instead of freeze framing, we'll just let the promise of the angel Gabriel's words, his kingdom will never end. Uh, guard and keep our hearts today. Most of us, if we think about Christmas past or Christmas present, we are stirred with that sense of joy and wonder, I believe, in us, but also it's in the air. And part of it is the fulfillment of prophecy. In Luke 2.14, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, on, uh, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And, and we know that since Christ ascended, the spirit of the Lord is, is among us. The spirit of the Lord is in the earth. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there's peace, and there's joy. So it makes sense that there'd be a spirit of joy and, and peace and goodwill in the air. But most of us, one of two things are conjured up, uh, past or present, and I searched for two days. I have a picture when I was 10-year-old boy. We were in New Jersey, uh, all 12 of us, mom, dad, and the 10 uh, the 10 kids singing, uh, sitting around the living room singing Christmas carols. It's one of my favorite pictures, uh, but I got a new computer about two years ago, and uh, you know all those photo files you have on your, I don't know, I can't find it, so I'm sorry I would have put that up. But most recently, uh, well, two years ago, my, my oldest granddaughter, Livy, uh, had to memorize the Christmas story, Luke 2, 1 through 20, for her school play, uh, her Christmas concert. And I thought that was pretty cool because 55 years ago, I memorized that same passage of Scripture for our church Christmas program. And every morning, most mornings I took them to school, most morning, or most afternoons I picked them up, and we practiced together uh, the Christmas message, uh, the Christmas story while we were driving. And I have to tell you, it's one of the, the greatest memories I have about Christmas now. My heart bursting with joy. At that time, my little 11-year-old granddaughter reciting the Christmas story. I tried to get her roped in for Christmas Eve, but they got too many plans, so I, I can't. But um, it was a great a great story. Um, but you know, there's a reason why the angels pronounced in Luke, two, uh, Luke chapter 2, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God. Glory to God in the highest. You see, nothing compares to the truth of the revelation, Luke's revelation of Christ's birth. 
And nothing in, history, in the history of God and man is more significant than the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason uh, we possess the hope. And hopefully today I will convince you to have a never-ending understanding, but also a never-ending never appreciation of all that is in this passage today. And more importantly, most importantly, that it will stir in you a never-ending devotion to Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ. I think one of the things that makes Christianity and being a Christian both challenging and unique is that we possess and live with a finite mind, uh, some of us more than others, and yet we interact with a God who is infinite, infinite in his understanding, infinite in his power, infinite in his wisdom. If there's everything and anything there is to know about God, that he is infinite or never-ending. And the angel makes mention of that today at the end of this passage. His kingdom will never end. And trying to comprehend that, trying to comprehend an infinite God with a finite mind can be challenging. And so we pick up this scene uh, where the angel Gabriel, the angel of good news, uh, approaches Mary. And so we know at this point, because Joseph and Mary were betrothed, Joseph at some time in, in the preceding 12 months had gone to Mary's parents. It's a Jewish custom. Would have asked her parents for permission to marry uh, and would have received the blessing. Uh, but Mary would have been living at home for one more year betrothed. You and I might equate that to being engaged today. Um, and so the marriage wasn't consummated. And here the angel of the Lord appears and tells Mary that she's highly favored. And yet Mary would ultimately uh, fall under some shame and disgrace for being pregnant outside of marriage. It was such a thing. And there's a lesson there for us. We can be highly favored of God and yet suffer uh, the persecutions and the insults of men. But the most important thing is Mary, it says, was greatly troubled, was greatly troubled at first. And you can imagine why. You know, being a virgin, now being told that she's going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the Savior of all of mankind. And you talk about a challenging thought process in that moment. Imagine this 15, 16, 17-year-old young lady being told that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And had not Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, had not Joseph been told by an angel of the Lord that this is all of God? And you're to take Mary as a wife, he would have and uh, was convinced that he needed to kind of put her away or basically hush it all up and, and move on with his life. And so here we have this scene. Mary is, is overwhelmed, I think. She's, she's trying to comprehend the unimaginable, the unbelievable, this inconceivable concept or attribute of an infinite God now dwelling within her, or soon to be dwelling within her. And another lesson there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. 
We're not going to get pregnant, but the same idea is the indwelling God lives within us. But more than that, Christmas was in the shadows of eternity. Christmas was in the shadows of Genesis 3:21, when the great fall of Adam and Eve occurred and God sacrificed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with skin. Christmas was in the shadows when God introduced the law, a better sacrifice uh, pointing the way to the best sacrifice to come. Christmas was there when the Israelites entered into the promised land, a new land of promise and of peace and hope. The same way you and I one day will enter the promised land of heaven and dwell with God for all eternity. Paul writes in Hebrews 1-2, if you're a believer that Paul wrote Hebrews, if you're not, the writer of Hebrews says in 1-2, but in these last days, he, that is God, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, over all things. So we understand that Jesus brought the new revelation of God. Jesus is the new revelation of God. And finally and ultimately, Jesus is the complete revelation of God. The complete act of God to reconcile men to himself. And in this, there should be a season or a reason uh, to be soberly mindful that all of man's efforts for 4,000 years, even the practicing of the law and things like that, all of it was just a foreshadow of a new and lasting sacrifice. And for 4,000 years, men have tried to approach God on their own terms, trying to define the parameters of how to approach God, trying to find the parameters of covering their all their own sins, and we look around the world today, 2,000 plus years after the birth of Christ, I ask a simple question, is the world you and I live in a better place? Or is it darker and more depraved? All evidence of the profound need and revelation of Christ. 4,000 years the earth spun, world was groaning as in birth pains, engulfed in darkness, all man's futile attempts to eradicate sin and to be right with God. And then the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, enters the realm of humanity on a late starry night 2,000 years ago. And it's important to note who the angel appeared to the shepherds, and what the shepherds represent. The shepherds in that day culturally would have been considered unclean, you know, dealing with sheep and sheep feces and all of those, they would have been, they would have been ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Uh, they were often very poor, uh, didn't have a lot of money. And lastly, uh, they were considered outcasts. They were considered outcasts of society, the outcasts of culture, but a beautiful picture of who our Savior came to save, the unclean, the sinner, the outcast, the poor, the desperate. So I want to cover just 10 things. The birth of Jesus Christ, uh, his birth is the beginning of God's never-ending supply and the significance 
of the birth of Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, in your bulletin, by the way, I hope you got the the right bulletin. Uh, We had a technical error this past week, and uh, Paul got the bulletin outlined with only nine, and it's all my fault. I'll take full responsibility. Uh, When, in fact, uh, there was 10, and I'm not sure... uh, I'm not sure why that happened, how that happened. Uh, I was just telling somebody again, I think it was Charlton, I can't wait till we get to heaven and we don't have computers and we don't have cell phones and, and uh, we just, I don't know how we're going to communicate with people far and wide. But anyway, uh, so um, the bulletin outline you should have uh, is blank on the back side. Uh, there's just one more that got dropped lost uh, in the communications. Number one is the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending truth. Above everything else, we see Christ in the manger. We have to see the truth. We have to see the truth of why he came, of who he is. He himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus emphatically stating that he is the propitiation for the world. You cannot, and no human being cannot approach God or can approach God on any other terms, on any other conditions, except through the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. And light and truth are synonymous. If you ever think of light, you think of a bright room like this. Uh, Light does what? It illuminates, right? So does truth. This truth is meant to illuminate us, to stir our hearts. But the real truth, the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of of God's never-ending truth that man needs saving. Amen? Man needs saving. Mankind needs to be saved. Every human being. My God lives. My God loves. My God's good. My God's great. And I sing this song uh, in the mornings to myself, just a song I wrote. But the last is, my God is true. My God is true. My God reigns. My God is good, my God is great, my God lives, my God loves, my God is true, and my God reigns. The truth of Jesus Christ is that man needs saving. Secondly, the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending mercy. First Peter, Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 10, Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is an interesting word. How many times have you and I watched a movie? Uh, maybe this isn't your kind, of, but the, there's always a villain in it. Um, I know my, my grandkids like to watch superhero movies. There's always a villain in, in those, those kinds of movies. And, and in the end, the villain always gets his due, right? But most of the time, that villain is trying to have a change of heart, or he asks for mercy, but he doesn't get it. We all rejoice because that villain bought it in the end. Amen? <laughs> well, you have to see yourself in the light of God as you and I are all villains before God. You and I are all villains, and we need the mercy of God. 
And the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending mercy. James writes to this matter in 2.13 when he said, Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, we were all subject to judgment. But God, through the birth of Christ, reached down and brought victory, brought mercy through Jesus Christ. Number three is the never-ending supply of God's love. We're all familiar, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, the highest inspiration God had was love, that he gave his one and only son, motivated. The highest inspiration and the greatest motivation God has, God lives with, God dwells with men, is love. Love. You know, there's a lot of uh, unbelievers out there in the world that get God misconstrued, God's motives misconstrued, God's words twisted, God's words uh, distorted. But God's greatest motivation, God's highest inspiration is love. It's always been love. From the cradle to the cross, if we see anything in the cradle, we see God's love. If we see anything at the cross, we see God's love very much or even more so as his blood was poured out for us. Love was in that blood. Love is in that cradle. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending love. Number four is grace. John writes in 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And this is incredibly uh, significant. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Grace and truth. Jesus didn't come just with love. If he came just with the motivation of love, then why was he crucified? But he also came equally with truth. And the truth is, and he called out the religious leaders of his day, and he's still calling the lost and the sinner, the brokenhearted. He's still calling them today, calling them in love, but motivated by truth. By truth. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending grace. And it began in Genesis 3.21 and Titus writes in, Genesis, or in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace is the birth of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.7, in order that in the coming ages that he might, excuse me, that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I apologize. Had this sinus thing all week and um, told Lucas, I feel like a thousand camels have traveled through my mouth. Uh, every <laughs> night I wake up and I can't eat. My tongue is stuck. I apologize for that. Anyway, in the order, in order that the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, the one that was omitted, is peace. Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending peace. 
we have to understand and it's one of the great bases or starting points when you're speaking to somebody about the purpose of Christmas and the reason Jesus Christ came. You see, after the fall in Genesis 3.15, God said to the devil, I, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Thank you. And between your offspring and hers. Understand this word enmity. It means hatred. It means hatred. There is a hate between God and the enemy. And this, this seed of disobedience, the son of disobedience, and we'll look at more of this in a minute. But this seed, the seed of enmity, it simply means that man is without peace. It's a hatred. It's an enemy, if you will. And so all of mankind is without peace with God. You know, when Jesus talks about the Beatitudes, you know, one of the things he says, a lot of people misinterpret this. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He says what? Blessed are the peacemakers. That is, those who go around with the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring peace between God and man. You see, there's a dividing wall of hostility. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, that is God and men, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding, the peace of God, John 14.27, Jesus leaves with us. The presence of Christ in our lives. And the greater that presence, among other things, is the greater the peace we should be experiencing. No matter what we're facing in a troubled, dying world. Number six. That's really good, thank you. Is God's favor. The birth of Jesus Christ is the never-ending birth of God's favor. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for he says, that is God, in the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is, I could, I could preach just on this verse alone. This is a mouthful here. But if we go to Genesis chapter 4 now, we begin to see the generational or the ancestral sin begin to take place with Cain and Abel. You remember Cain uh, grew crops, Abel had the flocks, and they both came. So we know Adam had instructed his sons about offering offerings to God, and Cain tried to bring some of what he had grown, while Abel brought the choices. He brought the fat portions of his firstborn, that which was pleasing to God. And this totally demonstrates to you and I that we cannot approach God on our terms or what I think is best or what you think is best. We have to approach God based on the premise of his word. Man has been attempting to approach God on his own terms and maybe we see it more than ever with so much of our church backsliding into apostasy. 
we don't have a complete understanding of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The enmity that is between you and I and God. But through Jesus Christ, God now gives us divine favor. What is that divine favor? It's simply the acknowledgement and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. You and I, once we profess Christ, we receive him into our hearts. God's divine favor is on us. And that calling, and that's what Paul is writing here, that calling is going out today into the world. This season of Christmas, that calling is going out to the world. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending favor as the angel testifies. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Isn't it nice to live in the favor of God? Amen. Isn't it nice to live in the favor of God? Number seven is forgiveness. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending forgiveness. That all who come to him receive forgiveness of sins. And that's just not, that's past, that's present, that's future. Colossians 2.14, Paul writes, That written code that stood against me and stood against every man, Guilt, shame, and condemnation. The written code was nailed to the cross. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending forgiveness. The good doctor writes in Acts 13, 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending forgiveness. King David wrote in Psalm 113, uh, 103, excuse me, verse 13. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. You know, when I talked about uh, having to approach God with finite minds, does anybody really understand what that means as far as the east is from the west? I mean, huh? Thank you. Never east and west. Never east and west. There's going to be no record. And it's important to note that David writes here, removed. See, the Old Testament practice that David would have been familiar with is the sacrifice and the blood of animals that covered their sins. The blood of Christ, the perfect sacrifice, removes our sin. And number eight, goodwill. Luke writes, 2.14, of the angels, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. You know, it's good to have goodwill toward men and try to live at peace with all men. But this goodwill is specifically the goodwill of God to those who are birthed in Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending goodwill. Understanding now that the dividing wall of hostility is gone. We have peace with God. God wills us good all the time. 
Now, I've raised children. Most of you have raised children. Do they do everything we want? Do they do everything we say? I mean, the good, the right things? Anybody here want to volunteer? They raised perfect children and always obeyed them? No. But we correct them, we discipline them. Why? Because we have their best or their good in mind and at heart, right? We model the Father, our Father in heaven, when we parent. At least we should, because we're created the image of God, made in his likeness. But God wills. It's God's will. And God wills that we experience his goodness all the time. How often do these words, I I challenged, I did a chapel message about, well, it was right around Thanksgiving with the hockey team. How often do the words thank you or grateful fall from your lips? Have you ever thought about that for a minute? How often are you found thanking God and thanking others? Thanking God for my groceries. We came in the other day, my wife and I, and uh, we had to go to the bank, and it was cold and snowing and blowing, and and we had to stop at the grocery store. We got some groceries, and we just got home, and it just it felt so nice to be in a warm apartment, knowing that our cupboards are full. We didn't know how long the storm was going to last. They said it could be bad for a few days, but uh, just we both just stopped and just said, "Thank you, God." That we have a, a place to live, a warm, a warm room, warm bed, food. But how often do you thank God? How often are you found thanking God for his goodness to you? The goodwill that he's always showering you and I with. Paul writes in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good. The goodness of God over our lives through the birth of Jesus Christ. Number nine is the kindness. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending kindness. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.7, in order that in the coming ages, even today, he might show the incomparable. That was my little addition there, even today. Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. In the coming ages, even today, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How kind God is to us. That he didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us. He didn't leave us engulfed in sin and darkness. Out of grace and mercy, he expressed his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Timothy writes, uh, Titus writes in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. So there in the cradle, in the manger, that night, there was the fullness of God's kindness to man. And lastly, number 10, the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending blessing. Have you ever thought about when the seal of the Holy Spirit took place in our hearts that God's blessing was sealed there as well? His divine divine favor, his divine goodness, his divine kindness, all of it working to bless us. I had an interesting discussion 
yesterday, two, two old friends from Grand Forks, uh, solid men. Uh, we call ourselves the triangle. There's three of us, and we, we sharpen each other. Proverbs 27, 17, and uh, one brother just talking about how frustrated he is with the church and, and uh, just using the grace of God as a license to sin. The blessing of God as a license to sin. Um, and that's just one of those, those traps uh, that is out there in the world. But if we look in Luke chapter 24, you know what the last thing Jesus did before he ascended? What he was doing, I should say, when he ascended. Just picture this for a minute. He was blessing his disciples. He was blessing his disciples, then taken up. Isn't that a cool picture of who we are in Christ today? The blessing of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.3, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Amen. We are as blessed of God as Jesus is as blessed of God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that exciting? I get excited. And it's hard sometimes. We go through trials and tribulations and we stumble and we fall, we fail. You know, I was just praying last night over this message and, and um, I thank God for the privilege to share his word, but um, you know, there are times, uh, at least in this pastor's life, over 30 years where you really, you really wrestle with Scripture before you bring it uh, to the people, to the flock you're shepherding. Um, and, um, you know, we've all, we've all been through COVID over the last two years, and, and one of the big things that came out of that is the shortage in the supply chains and the supply lines, right? And sometimes we go through hardships, and sometimes I get really worked up, and I think that's where Paul gets it. When, when he mentioned, he mentioned this couple, he gets pretty worked up about some of this stuff. Uh, and I, I try to not get so worked up. But I forget. And I was wrestling. Lord, I forget how, how blessed of God I am. I can look around my life and see I'm blessed of God. 50... 50 years ago, it's, I got my 50-year high school reunion. 50 years ago, I was up on a rock face in Maine crying out to God, if you're real, show me. If you're real, lead me to yourself. I didn't come to Christ for about another five years, but I look back and blessed of God, blessed of God, blessed of God. I met my beautiful wife, blessed of God, and my beautiful daughter, blessed of God, and my grandchildren, blessed of God, and, and whatever else we face. This grace is never-ending. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending supply. And you and I will never receive a greater gift than Jesus Christ. And this is the season, people, to really, you and I can never give a better gift than Jesus Christ, right? 
And, and maybe, maybe this outline is, is some footnotes for you. But the reality is if you're sitting here today and Christ isn't in your heart, it's not Christmas. It's not Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this incredible passage uh, Luke penned for us. And we know uh, in chapter 2, he penned uh, an even more powerful passage of Scripture. But Lord, may we recognize today as your people, as your children, that the birth of Jesus Christ really is the birth of your never-ending truth, mercy, love, grace, peace, favor, kindness, and goodness, and blessing, Father. May we leave today here more encouraged than ever before for who we are in Christ. May we leave here today, Lord, even more assured and, and even more bold to speak and declare in the settings that are becoming up, maybe amongst family, maybe amongst unbelievers, uh, to boldly proclaim the truth, the truth of this message this morning, the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of God's never-ending supply. We thank you, Lord. We celebrate it. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.